Welcome to Sloppy Spoilers with your host, DT2. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Sloppy Spoilers. I'm your host, David Taylor II. You know me as DD2 Comics Chat. That's where you can find me on Twitter. I'd like to welcome my co-host. Welcome to David Nemesis Howard. What's up, Dave? Hey, what's going on, everyone? Uh, Going to have a great time talking about this movie. And you can find me on Twitter at NemesisFC2. Come on over and check out what I'm about. Welcome to Steve Shadewing Sellers. How you doing, Steve? Uh, doing fine. Uh, thank you. Um, as far as uh, today, I think we're going to have more fun discussing this movie uh, than we did actually sitting down and watching it. But we will see how things go. <laughs> Tonight, folks, we are going to talk about Wonder Woman 1984. And just to give some general comments, it set records in the wrong direction. So just about uh, every level that you put together a movie on, this one fails, except maybe visually, sometimes maybe. But you really have to struggle to try to find something good to say because on every level they put it together, it's like, it's like you know this this shouldn't have even been a first rough draft. This should have been some ideas and a skeleton thrown around. This should not have been a finished movie. So we'll get into details about it. But uh, I'm going to ask my co-host for for some general sentiments before we get into the details. My general sentiments are I fell asleep three times watching this movie. Um, I I always thought that some of the hype on the first one was just a little too overblown. It wasn't bad, but the very problem that I spotted in the first one is the very thing that killed this one. I'll explain this that in a minute. But um, this was kind of inevitable, Wonder Woman 1984, it being what it was. And I'll tell you why I say that very, very shortly. But I was just really disappointed, uh, really sleepy, <laughs> uh, really expected better. But uh, I think it was Steve that said before, I think it was him. If not, he can correct me if I'm wrong. But the bar has been set so low now until sometimes we're calling things great and fantastic and awesome when they're just barely above mediocre because we're so hungry for quality content. See, all of that comes into play into Wonder Woman 1984. So I'm going to ask my co-host for some general comments, and then we're going to get into specifics. So go ahead, Nemesis. Uh, give me some general comments about this movie. Yeah, I was really looking forward to this movie. I enjoyed the first Wonder Woman quite a bit. Um, I thought the third act of the first Wonder Woman was the weakest point of that film. But I, I really enjoyed the movie, and I enjoyed the depiction, and I thought it was really uh, entertaining. So I was really looking forward to this. Um, and this movie just disappointed me on every level. Um, from... The visuals, you know, I really want to talk about uh, when we get a chance, talk about the the um, action and or lack of, thereof and also the uh, visual effects in this film. I thought were absolutely criminal, but I think 
the best way I can sum up how I felt about this movie was a comment from my son. So we all gathered together on Christmas and watched this as a family, including my son's girlfriend. And about halfway through the movie, my son remarked to me, he goes, uh, isn't this supposed to be a Wonder Woman movie? And I think that was very astute because she's hardly, I mean, for being a Wonder Woman movie, it really doesn't uh, feature her all that much and certainly doesn't feature what I would consider, you know, Wonder Woman for the comics or Wonder Woman action at all. And so because of that, I felt like, you know, I was bored a lot of the film. And that is the worst thing you could say about a uh, comic book movie, I think. Absolutely. Go ahead, Steve. General comments? Yeah, um, I came in to this movie expecting a wonder, and instead I got a blunder. <laughs> and and <laughs> honestly, it's like, I wanted to love this film so much, I, I had a lot of hype for it because I liked the first one. Um, like uh, Nemesis, I thought everything was fine until uh, the third act, which was the weakest, and also because I absolutely despise the uh, New 52 uh, Daughter of Zeus origin, and they had to throw that in there. But the, aside from that, it was, it, it was fine. Um, but there was none, none of the stuff that I thought was really good in this movie i I went up and down from okay the first uh 20 30 minutes was not that bad and there was some good stuff there and then it just gets boring and then you have moments that are cringy to moments that are stupid and make no sense and then you have uh cheetah showing up and that's just completely all over the board um, to Max Lord hamming it up like freaking Porky Pig and and just everything that you can imagine just completely derailing everything. And there's really only one thing like towards the end that I thought, OK, that salvages it a little, but it doesn't save the fact that this script was terrible. <laughs> and I think most of the problems were with the script. There are other issues. I mean, there were certain performances that, that were bad uh, or at least uh, not what they should have been. Um, there were certain other issues here and there with the visuals and whatnot. But I would say mostly I agree with you, DT. Uh, the script is what failed uh, this movie. And I will um, unfortunately have to disavow the uh, attribution that you gave to me because I don't think I said that. Um, I, 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 at least I don't remember having said that. But I wish I had because it's spot on. Yeah, yeah, that is really where we are now. Let's get into specifics. And I will tell you what kind of I knew was going to tank this. And here's the problem. And it starts with the first movie. <clears throat> the problem with the Wonder Woman film so far is that they almost completely ignore Diana's comic book roots. Her original story and her original origin and even her development, the changes that she's gone through all up until the daughter of Zeus retcon have been rich, have been varied, uh, but there's a lot of story material there. There's a lot of heart. There's a lot of meaty lore. There's mythology because Diana of Themyscira is a fictional character that's rooted in Greek and Roman mythology. That is a root. Now, it's also tied in, if you know anything about William Moulton Marston, the man that created Wonder Woman, he was living a threesome or a menage a trois or him and his wife had a girlfriend, however you want to say it. That and they were into bondage. That's where Wonder Woman's lasso comes in. One of her original weaknesses was that if she was bound 
uh, one comic panel said that if her bracelets were held behind her back, she loses her powers. The more commonly known one says that if she gets bound by her lasso by a man, she loses her powers. There's all kind of lore about the Amazons using losing their eternal beauty if a man steps foot on the island, which is why Steve had to go. And there's just so many rich, meaty things, but she's a character that's rooted in Greco-Roman mythology tied with her creator's fetish for all the things he had a fetish for. And he also was the inventor of the lie detector. That's where the lasso of truth comes from. There's also a version of her lasso that also has forgetto power, like Superman's kiss in Superman 2. So not just forcing you to tell the truth, but also making you forget. There's that too. Uh, each part of Wonder Woman's costume in her different incarnations between video games, the Linda Carter TV show, and the comic books has an endowment from a very specific god, which is why she can do what she can do. Uh, Diana was originally a humunculus, meaning a uh, statue turned human. A golem is a statue, a clay statue that's animated, that's moving, but it's still clay. A Homunculus, as a hard word to say, is a clay statue that's turned into living flesh. That's what Diana was as a very little girl. That's her original origin. And so her tiara and the star in it, her belt of strength, the reason she's got a golden eagle on her bustier, the reason her original costume was actually culottes and not a skirt or shorts, but they're star spangled because the costume was designed to go to America, her flight boots from Hermes, her magic bracelets, her lasso, all those things are endowed by the gods. And depending on how Diane is written, she either had some of that power from God endowment when Hippolyta prayed for her to become alive and or she got some of those powers when she got the Wonder Woman mantle and became an ambassador from Themyscira to quote unquote man's world because she wanted to go back with Steve and because Hippolyta wanted her to fight in World War II, because then it got reckoned that Hippolyta was Wonder Woman for World War I, and also mainly because Hippolyta did not want them as scared of, to be destroyed in the Second World War. She knew, since men now knew that Paradise Island was there, she was going to have to do something about that. So she had a contest to send the strongest Amazon to represent Paradise Island to the Americas. That's the root of Wonder Woman's costume. None of what I just said is in the movies. Just maybe a little nod in the first movie, maybe. But if you're not a comic reader, you have no idea none of what I just said. I knew that was the problem from the jump. So instead, they do the retcon origin, what they did in the comics, as we talked about a few minutes ago, about how Diana, Diana is now somehow the daughter of Zeus, which makes her common. Zeus had a lot of illegitimate children, Zeus was known for his affairs. Um, uh, that origin would have been better suited for Donna Troy, not Diana. It takes away her, her uniqueness because who else has the origin of being clay turned flesh? And none of that is in the first movie. And I knew that was a mistake. So when we get to Wonder Woman 1984, that's even more pronounced that they have no idea what powers Diana, why she does what she does. Uh, what happens to actually make her lose her powers or not, how her powers work, how each part of her costume, they made her fly based on her ability to uh, will herself to do so. 
they turned the Invisible Jet invisible based on her ability to will it to be so. Instead of that jet was built by Hippolyta, it comes from Paradise Island. Uh, she got the boots of Hermes, same uh, god that powered Captain Marvel for flight and speed. That's how she was able to fly for a while. They just threw all that out. And I knew from the jump that was a problem. So I'm going to throw it over to my co-host. I want to hear what you have to say about their treatment of Diana's lore and mythology and what your reaction was to that. Start with Steve. Yeah, as far as the lore, I, I think I'm largely with you, but maybe not like completely. Um, I think some there are some changes that you can make to the lore in the movie, and and it can still survive into a, into translation. But the problem with this is that there is no coherent world building when it comes to how her powers work, uh, when it comes to like um, anything really to do with the invisible jet. I mean, I, and honestly, I really don't like the invisible jet because there has been no way that they have ever done it that has ever made it work for me. And the way they did it in this movie, it, it just felt like, oh, uh, a complete afterthought. Oh, she just happens to have the ability to turn things invisible, um, which we've never seen and has never been set up and has never been established. Oh, now she can do it to the entire jet, even though she's never uh, succeeded in doing it, even on a small scale, but suddenly she can do it for an entire jet with two people in it. Um, no, complete nonsense. Uh, the way that they set up her flight, I mean, even though it comes from the comics, it's they they didn't even, they didn't earn it and they didn't justify it, um, and they just base it off of what some conversation she had with Steve Trevor. It, it's completely ridiculous, and none of it is consistent with the, with it as you said. Um, none of that makes any sense. But if they had some ins consistent internal world building that was consistent with the lore, even if they made some deviations from it, it would have been fine. But the, the way that they did it in practice, and particularly in this film, it's just things happen because they're supposed to, because they're caught convenient. They are never earned. They are never built up to. They are never properly foreshadowed. And as a result, the entire framework just comes crumbling down like a house of cards. It's, it's just a real, real shame. One of these days, they're going to figure out that you can't have a superhero movie if you don't understand the superhero you're writing. You can't have a superhero movie work if you don't understand what makes them popular or what makes them tick in the first place. You can't go into superhero deconstruction unless you understand the original construction in the first place. Mm -hmm. And and again, I knew from the first movie, I was like, yep, yeah, nope, okay. Uh, go ahead, Nemesis, let me hear your thoughts on the treatment of the mythology and the lore. Yeah, I think both of you make some great points. Um, I'm going to say, going back all the way to the first movie, I, I didn't have as big a problem with it as you did. I saw enough of my favorite incarnation of Wonder Woman for the comics, which is uh, George Perez, that... I was satisfied. I'm not going to say that I was ecstatic, you know, because, you know, you're never completely happy, especially as a comic book fan. You've always got your favorites and everything. I mean, that's kind of a truth. But I was like, OK, I can I could buy this. And and yes, the new 52 version is not everybody's favorite, but the daughter of Zeus thing, I can understand it and I can roll with it. The problem for me is. They establish these things, and, and I think your point about her, her gear and about the gods and everything is very well said because 
here is where DC, the movies, the DC Extended Universe really falls down. Here is where they truly miss a Kevin Feige. Yes, they're trying to go away from ha- and having more standalone movies and standalone franchises. But even then, if all of these movies exist in the world, what really brings anything to life, a movie, a book, a comic book series, anything, is that interconnectedness. Those sense that all of these people, these characters live in the same world and that you build up the richness of the lore of that world a little bit at a time. So what do I mean by that? Okay, Diana is supposed to be the daughter of Zeus. She has the speed, you know, she's supposed to have flight from Hermes and everything. That ties over directly into Shazam. If you start throwing in casual references to those gods, to the Rock of Eternity, to other activities that are happening with the gods, maybe you see a god here and there, a flashback since the gods are supposed to be dead. You start to build up that lore, you build that mythology across the entire world, not just Wonder Woman, not just Shazam, and then that mythology can translate over to those characters that don't do well with magic, like Superman, or those that don't believe in it, like Batman, and you start building a very rich world. Uh, As far as things like the Invisible Jet, you know... I think both of you said it well, which is a lot of the stuff in this movie that Diana suddenly got was not earned at all. She just suddenly could do it. She could suddenly fly or fall with style, as it were. Uh, The jet, suddenly she could turn invisible. Uh, I disagree with Steve. I think there is one instance where they did the invisible jet well, but it was in the cartoons when they did Crisis on Infinite Earth Mm. uh, or Crisis on Two Earths. I think that's what they called it where she actually took the jet from Owlman, you know, so it was Owlman technology and she defeated Owlman and she kept it as a uh, souvenir of battle. I thought that was pretty clever, you know? So, you know, but all those little things, those little ways that you build the world and make it richer contribute to the success of the entire franchise and the entire, uh, breathing living world and that's what feige does for marvel and nobody is doing that for dc and they missed a lot of opportunities in every film including this one i mean they could have referenced uh, a ton of stuff that's from aquaman as far as the greek gods go i mean greek mythology is central to dc comics and it's across their two most successful films in the you know recent memory which are aquaman and the first wonder woman and they just let it go and don't even recognize it in this film and i think it's poor for it now you said something very important that i want to key in on that i'll talk briefly about the invisible jet uh what you said right there was brilliant if they recognize that diana is a creature of magic Then you must recognize that Superman is a creature of science and biology, and Batman is a creature of technology. All of a sudden, her appearance in Batman versus Superman is 10 times more interesting. If she comes in with a magic element and those two pillar characters react to it because she can bring something that neither one of them can bring. So everything about the universe is exactly what you said. If it had been built up a piece at a time and honored across the movies, 
everything about all the movies becomes more interesting then. So uh, I could not possibly agree with what you said more. And I think that is just a, such a, a, a rich point. Now, in terms of The Invisible Jet, uh, The Invisible Jet, first of all, the problem that people have with it is that it's the transparent jet. It's not The Invisible Jet. So they kind of have to make up their mind if it's truly going to be able to bend light and you can't see it. Because who did that really well was the S.H.I.E.L.D. helicarrier. So if you want to have reflective panels that bend light and it actually goes ghost, has a cloaking device of some type, that's one thing. Normally it's depicted with Diana sitting in the, the cockpit and you can see her kind of floating. That's a transparent jet. Yeah, that's just this. ridiculous. <laughs> I just yeah. laugh I see that. So. Right, that's, that's Super Friends and that's Linda Carter and that's Silver Age and it's goofy. Yeah. Uh, the reason they haven't written it well is because they don't understand it as a piece of infiltrator technology. If you understood what you could do with a jet with a cloaking device, if you just took it seriously, it's very easy to write. But for some reason, they keep wanting to go goofy. And that's why I can understand what Steve is saying, because Wonder Woman would have a jet for things that she can't carry on her own. Wonder Woman would have a jet if she was released into the world during the Second World War, of course she'd have a jet. She'd have a jet so she could join the forces of what she believed in, and she could be an infiltrator, just like Steve was, as we met him in the first movie. If Wonder Woman has a jet, it can carry cargo, it can carry supplies, it can carry refugees, it can carry survivors. She can do all of that with a jet that she couldn't do just with her two arms. So it's a very easy riding fix, but for some reason, they keep making it a joke. So uh, whatever. But they've just kind of blown their opportunities with that, as far as I'm concerned. So if somebody came along that knew how to write what Diana's about, it could very easily be turned around. Now, getting back to the movie, uh, let's talk about the basic plot. There's actually two or three stories going on that are not necessarily connected, which is another huge problem. The emotional story that's being told is the same story of Superman 2, the Chris Reeve movie, meaning that Diana loves a mortal. She'll do anything to be with that mortal, but that ends up meaning that she has to give up her powers, and then she sees that the world needs her to be Wonder Woman, so she has to let it go. That's the same story, same art Clark went through in Superman 2 when he read Sun Chambered himself, his Kryptonian powers away, and then Zod was already on Earth, and then he couldn't be with Lois, he had to be Superman again, and blah, blah, blah. Same idea. But then the larger story is a story of, it's a monkey's paw story where you have a wishing rock, which is ridiculous. You guys can talk about the ridiculousness of making the central MacGuffin in this movie a wishing rock. And then somebody turning themselves into a wishing rock. And so it's a monkey's paw story, meaning you can have whatever you want, but you have to give up what you love most in exchange. And the monkey's paw doesn't tell you that when it grants you your wish. But then there's a third story, which is supposed to be basically a Diana-Cheetah rivalry. And even though it wasn't done as well as it could have been, it's the one that actually has the most teeth. Because you can understand, even though they use the, the most common nerd trope in the world with Barbara, you can understand why she wouldn't want to go back to being 
maybe what she perceived to be as the loser version of herself. She got a better version of herself. She got to be more powerful. She got to be more exciting, more dangerous, even though they did it in a goofy way. But the psychological concept actually makes sense. So those three stories are not necessarily connected. They just kind of happen at the same time, which speaks to how the plot is a mess. It's all over the place. So let me hear your thoughts on the plot itself. Start with Nemesis. Um, I'm going to go backwards and start with Cheetah. Cheetah was, when I first heard it was going to be Cheetah in this film, that was what really got me excited. And when I saw some of the few leaked pictures of her, I thought we were going to get an actual cheetah, not nerd cheetah that we got. And this goes back to what we were talking about with the richness of the world and the magic and the Greek gods. They didn't need to mess with cheetah's storyline. They didn't need to make it so that she got her powers through the MacGuffin. Cheetah's origin, you know, the one that is the most popular as far as I'm concerned, the one where she is going through dark magic. Um, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, I don't know if it was necessarily Greek gods that she used, but easily could have been tied into Greek mythology with a with a god like Hecate or something like that, a goddess, uh, the Greek uh, god of dark magic and stuff like that. For her to take on those powers and become corrupted and become the cheetah. And instead, they did the whole uh, fish out of water nerd thing. And I think it really took away from her character. It makes her future very uncertain because I think she's retaining some power, but she's not, you know, I don't know what her future is, uh, you know, going forward in the DCU. So to me, that was a mistake. And yes, I think it had the most teeth and it was the most interesting aspect of what was going on. But it was still really disappointing for me. And I think they wrote themselves into a box there going forward if they want to continue using the character. Um, there are some ways I think we could you could fix that. And maybe we can go into that later. But, um, yeah, that was disappointing to me. Then the general wish stone, the MacGuffin, I think that's ridiculous uh, just in a general sense. I know that that. Uh, concept has been in the comics before, but it has much more established rules. And wishing yourself to be a wish stone should always be, it's like wishing for more wishes with a genie. It should be a deal killer and have drastic consequences like you actually get turned into the stone, you know? Not that you suddenly become a person that can grant wishes and everything. So uh, that whole plot is just very strange and not to mention that that's not maxwell lord at all they they could have called him anybody they could have called him just pedro pascal and it would have been closer to maxwell lord than what we got there and then the last part you know the part you're talking about with diana's journey and superman 2 and everything i was looking forward to seeing what they were going to do and what they were going to do with steve trevor and honestly we talked a lot about this in my family as well I could never get past the fact that Diana, who is supposed to be pure of heart and a pure soul, and I understand that she wanted this love and everything, 
but let's let's be honest and i hope this is not coming off as me being politically correct or something but she was screwing some dude's body that had steve trevor's soul in it and had no problem with it and that is not any version of wonder woman i ever know knew because it's completely immoral if you think about it and wonder woman uh diana was doing it without a second thought and was willing to i guess banish that one man's soul forever for large parts of the movie without giving it a second thought so that she could have steve trevor back and that is just about as far from heroic as you can get Yes, we're going to definitely key in on that specifically. Uh, before I turn it over to Steve, mm-hmm. there's three different women and one dude that have been the cheetah. First cheetah was Priscilla Rich, Golden Silver Age. A Bronze Age was Deborah Domain, probably the least known. The most commonly known is Barbara Ann Minerva, post-crisis mm-hmm. cheetah. And then there was a dude, Sebastian Ballesteros, a male cheetah, usurped the role for a while. Most of us know Barbara Ann Minerva, but William Walter Marston also created Cheetah as kind of a, a, a counterpart of Diana, uh, uh, a character driven by jealousy and envy, and I wish I was you. Uh, Cheetah has always been some form of a split personality, where the Cheetah persona has been at war with the human persona, and so the woman had to decide who she was going to be. So just kind of a general overview of the Cheetah character, because there's been a lot of different uh, origins for the different three women. uh, And most of them had to do with some type of split personality or schizophrenia. Okay, go ahead, Steve. Let's hear about your thoughts about the overall plot. And then we're going to get into what Emesis touched on, the Diana-Steve relationship. Okay, yeah, I guess we'll talk. I'll, I'll probably save like my thoughts on the uh, Diana Steve relationship for later because um, I did have a problem with uh, with the same thing that uh, Nemesis had as far as that was concerned. Uh, but of course, my problem there is why did he did he need to come back as a ghost possessing somebody in the first place? Um, but we'll talk a little bit more on that because I kind of feel like if you gotten rid of that, uh, the whole problem, you know, with Diana uh, having uh, the consent uh, of the host or not would never have been an issue. Uh, but I, I don't know. As far as the Superman 2 thing, yeah, it was pretty obvious where they were going with this. And honestly, I, I just was rolling my eyes a little bit at that whole plot because we've seen it before. And, which is fine, except uh, how do you uh, what do you show about Diana that's new and interesting uh, if you're going to go that route? And I just didn't feel like we learned anything from that. Uh, everything goes pretty much by the numbers with with the whole relationship. Um, I, I, I just feel like some of it was like, OK, she's trying to move on after pining for him for decades, which, OK, um, you'd think by now she would have. But all right, fine. Uh, but that that whole thing, I just felt like I was the least interested in that whole relationship at that point. And I really think that Chris Pine is 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 really good and he's under uh, developed. I mean, he, there's just I just feel like he's pointless uh, for a large part of the movie. Um, he's just there uh, to hold Diana back from doing what she has to do. And and that's just it's what a mess um, in terms of the MacGuffin. God, they wasted that. And, and and I think I would have been less disappointed if I hadn't seen this entire plot point done better in a video game. 
I, I am not kidding. They did this better in a video game, Persona 5 Royal, um, which the entire I, but the thing is it made sense for the world building of that world because reality in that world is based on cognition and changing cognition. So um, the, 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 the whole idea of granting wishes and things like that through changes of cognition actually made sense in that setting. Here, it's just uh, forced in. Um, the, the rules of this, of this rock are never uh, firmly established. It can do certain things uh, perfectly, and then other things it does in a um, really incomplete way, like bringing back Steve Trevor as a ghost. Why not just bring him back as he was? Uh, never explained. And then you have, um, but on the other hand, it can grant Max Lord godlike powers. It can uh, turn uh, Cheetah both into an Amazon uh, by stealing Diana's powers and turn her into an actual apex predator later on. Um, but it can do that. And so all of this is is completely inconsistent and makes no sense. Um, I, I and I and like Nemesis, I don't know why Max Lord would have wished for this. It, it makes absolutely no sense. Wouldn't what he have wanted to be? Okay, um, I'm going to wish uh, to basically make sure that my land has oil on it. That would have been sufficient. That would have been what Max Lord would have wanted. He would have wanted to make sure that his that his land holdings had had wealth on it that he could use to pay off his debt and show that his kid that you know uh, he was a good dad providing for him. But you know what? But no, he wants to be a god for some reason. It's it makes absolutely no sense. I I, I just couldn't buy into any of that. And then um, as far as uh, Cheetah and um, Diana goes. Yeah, that, that whole plot could have made sense, and I agree that they'd had the most teeth to it, uh, potentially, but I think they really killed this by using the worst trope, uh, I have, uh, or one of the worst tropes when it comes to this, and that is the Hollywood nerd trope, which is um, basically the villain always has to be like the worst exaggeration of a nerd that you can ever see. And and they always look the really mussed up. Um, they always have these weird glasses, you know, but you can see like if, if they actually dress themselves halfway normally, like an actual nerd would, they wouldn't actually look that badly. But instead it's just this, this, just this weird exaggeration that I think just doesn't serve uh, Barbara's character at all. And then um, it, and then from there it just kind of goes off the rails. Um, I, I, I just feel like the plot and the story and the script is mainly what deserved this movie. I mean, the, I think the execution um, I think tries to 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 deal with some of these issues, but I mean, uh, in some cases the execution makes it worse, like with Barbara, and in some cases they did it, you know. And then you have the the whole business with Steve Trevor, which completely destroys Diana's character. You know, because they had to have that whole business of him being possessed, which makes no sense and adds nothing. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would say the plot really is uh, the what crashed and burned more than anything. And, I, and I'd also add that that trope, I think the one that really kills me with that trope that you're talking about is that it originates way, way back in the 80s, you know, maybe even the 70s. But the, I remember in the 80s and a lot of times it's from movies I think the best example I can think of it, there's a movie called Love Potion Number no. 9 where Sandra Bullock and another character, they're both nerds, and suddenly they become beautiful people overnight, you know, mm -hmm. just by a change of glasses and clothes, you know, and then you've got movies like She's All That is the same thing. 
it's the same movie over and over again. And it's Batman just, returns, and then they yeah. keep doing it over and over with Iron Man 3 and with Electro and Amazing Spider-Man 2, which is yeah. garbage. And then and then they brought this back here. What makes these people in Hollywood think nerds are like this? And what makes them think that, that this is going to go over well with their audience? I, I, I don't get it. And it's tired and boring. It really is at this point. Mm-hmm. Way overdone. Oh. Okay, uh, let's deal with that. Deal with that before we get to the Diana Steve thing. First thing is, is because huh, uh, much of American pop culture is based on media, but sometimes people that create that don't keep their finger on the pulse of actual people. Actual people have moved on from typecasting. Because, you know, us us regular people out here in the real world at this point are really tired, really, really tired of, I mean, just pick your trope. Man hating, black people hating, uh, Hispanic people hating, uh, Mary Sue's, Gary Stu's, uh, foreign people are like this, uh, anybody's not a teenager is old, all that stuff. It's Hollywood 80s stuff. Maybe it was funny back then. But the real world, especially after 2020, especially during COVID, people had to get down a brass tax. People had to do things to survive. People had to depend on their families. And people are tired of being lumped in these categories as defined by pop culture media. So when they try to do those, those same things now, we're just tired of it. We're just tired of it. And it's insulting because it's painting a whole bunch of people with a broad brush. There's that. Number two, to answer your question about the MacGuffin, Magic Stone, Maxwell Lord thing, first of all, Nemesis is 100% spot on. That is not Maxwell Lord. So they should have picked a different character because they wasted the Maxwell Lord character, number one. But number two, what actually happened is we have to put on our writer's code glasses. They created a character to justify a plot point. There's something that they wanted to happen, so they create a whole plot and character around that so they can make the thing happen that they wanted to happen. So they wanted Diana to be able to wish Steve back, so they had to create something that allowed that to happen. And that's where you get the MacGuffin, Wishing Stone, Maxwell Lord, that whole thing. So it was kind of written backwards. So we want Diana to have this big emotional arc and this big emotional scene where she has to let Steve go. So something has to justify uh, Steve being there in the first place. Okay, so that's where that comes from. Now to get to the Diana-Steve relationship, uh, just to call it for what it is, if you reverse the genders, it would have been called rape. Mm-hmm. And not only would it have been called rape, they would have not just trashed the character, like if Superman or Batman or Captain America did something like that. Like, let's say, uh, let's say uh, Steve is in a situation where he's got a magic wishing stone and he wishes a Peggy back in some other woman's body. If he made love to her, that's another woman having sex without consent because Steve is trying to get with Peggy, but Peggy's in another woman's body. They not only would have trashed Captain America and called him a rapist, they would have gone after Chris Evans mm-hmm. and trashed the actor for supporting rape culture and tried to get him canceled. Mm-hmm. So, so, when, so when you 
say that you want equality, but then it's different when men and women do it, then obviously you're not telling the truth. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's no truth in that if you're saying that it's all about consent and all that different kind of stuff. And what Nemesis said, now I said this in my review, and once again, I couldn't agree more with what he said. It's a sign that you do not understand who Diana of Themyscira is. Mm-hmm. She would not stand for slavery. She would not stand for having Steve back at the expense of another man's soul or body. She would not, out of all the characters, she would not be doing anything that uh, involves someone else not having consent. Out of all the characters in the DC roster, a Black Canary, Wonder Woman in particular, would never be doing things that would be taking away other people's consent because that's who they are as characters. And so to violate such a core element of who Diana is kind of casually, like it doesn't even make any difference and all that, you have no, no, it's just, it just completely pushes you out of the movie. And like, like all three of us have said, she was clearly willing to sacrifice the soul and the body of this other man whose name I don't even think we ever found out. No. What if they mm-hmm. to a woman and they never named her? She's just hot chick. Captain America makes love to hot chick while Peggy possesses her. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. The outrage. The outrage would have been off the charts. Twitter would have broken. The internet would have broken. Chris Evans would have to do an apology tour. They would have to rewrite the movie and do reshoots, all different kind of stuff. But they do a Wonder Woman. It's just like, oh, you know, Steve, I can't let you go. I can't give you up. I'm like, what about the dude whose life you interrupted? What if he wasn't heterosexual? What if he wasn't attracted to women? Mm. And you made him have a relationship he would never have on his own. I didn't even think about that. I think I did see somebody point that out. So, yeah, I, I would agree with that. So, so that's what I'm saying. It's just so, so out of the box. And I always put myself in those situations. What if I woke up and I realized that my body had been used to do something sexual? That's not funny. That is abuse on the highest level where, where my will was taken away from me and then my body was used in situations that I had no consent, no control over, whatever. What if this man had a wife and he discovers he's made love to another woman? What if he had no intentions of cheating on his wife and now he's laying with this other woman and and just... And the other thing is, does this dude have memories? That's the other thing we didn't deal with. So they kind of hint at it at the end that maybe not. But in Superman 2, by the time we get to Superman 4, the quest for peace, Lois actually says, I remember everything. So the forget old kiss was maybe kind of temporary. So what if this dude at some point in the future realizes what's happened to him? What does he tell his wife? Does he tell her at all? I mean, just, you know, what does he tell his partner? Just, you know, it's just, it's so disgusting and it was so glossed over, (laughs) but it wouldn't have been if it was done by a man. So it pushed me all the way out of the movie. And when I say all the way out, I mean all the way out. Like, I don't want to watch this film again yeah. because that kind of hypocrisy and double standard, I can't, I can't, I'm not giving my time and my energy to that. No, I don't believe it's love 
because Steve took over a man's body and Diana loves him. Because if Peggy took over a woman's body and Steve loved her, that would be the end of Chris Evans. The end. So I, let me hear what you guys think about that. That was a bit of a rant, but I had to get it out. No. <laughs> so uh, go ahead, uh, Nemesis. Yeah, I, I think you hit on those points really well. And I'm going to add this. Not only would Chris Evans be destroyed, but the writer and the director of the film would be destroyed as well. Yes. But instead, there was a complete lack of self-awareness from a number of people involved, most notably whoever the writer was, I forget her name, and Patty Jenkins, because you look at what they did, and then you look at that final scene where Diana runs into the man again, and she has no real embarrassment about it. She just dismisses this man. And the whole idea here we're supposed to be, that I took from it, that they were trying to say was that Diana was better than all of us because she looked past the physical elements of the relationship, of physical love, and she saw the person underneath. And so Diana really was in love with Steve Trevor. And there's just this absolute lack of self-awareness of what they did and thinking and, and judging by the comments of Patty Jenkins since then, the public comments and the way she's defended this film and what she did, there is no self-awareness of what they did and no mea culpa at all. And it's absolutely disturbing. And I think you're absolutely right. If this was reversed, it would be seen for what it was. And not only would the person who wrote it get criticism and rightly so everybody involved with it would get absolutely crucified. Absolutely crucified. It would follow them for the rest of their career and they would have to be apologizing from henceforth. Uh, go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I, I have to say, I agree with everything that Houston's saying, and I'm probably not going to have a whole lot to add to that. Uh, th th this whole thing is just despicable and absolutely uh, contemptible. Uh, the whole way that they handle this whole thing and the, the way that they handle this poor guy <laughs> who was just there. And it's like, yeah, if it was if completely the if the situation was the reverse, uh, it would have been absolutely um, excoriated and, and, and understandably so. Um, but I'm going to add one other thing that this movie does to Diana um, and and another precept of her entire character that they broke. And that is that Diana is a big believer in the truth. And she is living in intentional denial because uh, of her obsession with Steve Trevor. So the entire time, does she think about that this uh, the person that um, is the body um, actually has a life? Uh, does she think that this person actually has a, uh, a personality or a character or something of himself or, you know, any value as a human being? Never occurs to her. Why? Because all she sees is Steve Trevor and she is living a lie. And the lie is, is that she brought Steve Trevor back when, in fact, all she did was bring back was the soul of Steve Trevor and having him occupy a body that she took advantage of. And she is in total denial um, living a lie, thinking that she's having this relationship with Steve Trevor, when in fact she's having a relationship with somebody who has been uh, possessed. Um, and, and the idea that consent would involve in that situation never occurs to her. Nothing ever occurs to her for all intents and purposes. She's he's Steve Trevor, you know, because that's what she sees. And this this and the real Diana would never, 
never live under that kind of delusion. She is always someone who is trying to see the truth of the situation because you can't find justice in her eyes unless you have truth first. And she is someone who has a lasso um, that, you know, reveals the truth. I think the minute that she put her hand on the freaking lasso, she would see that what he what he was. Um, does she think to do this? No. You know, it's always um, he's Steve Trevor and the, the person that he's writing um, is never a factor at any point, even at the end. And, and as you say, Nemesis, uh, she shows no shame, no remorse, no regret for having done this. Um, it, that was just a thing that happened and, you know, we had a good time. So long. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, absolutely f- nightmarish. I mean, I, I, I actually think you could have an entire uh, story based upon this poor guy that got possessed and used and discarded uh, the, the, the shell of this guy. You could actually tell a pretty good story about him. Uh, a far better story than what was told in this movie, I might add. But, I mean, in terms of her character, it's just been utterly trashed between this and everything else you mentioned. I would go so far to say is that if you really wanted to make a Maxwell Lord type story where he screws with Diana, he would have messed with her head and had her believe that this man was Steve Trevor mm-hmm. and then have to deal with the moral dilemmas afterward. And that would have been more of a Maxwell Lord story. Now, also, I want to throw something in here, keying in on what Steve just said. There is an oversized book called Spirit of Truth by Paul Dini and Alex Ross, and he has a series of oversized books that he did a while back. I forgot what year they came out. He did one for Superman, Batman, one for Captain Marvel, and one for Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman's is entitled Spirit of Truth. I highly recommend it to all our listeners. Definitely read it. In the book, you will discover, spoiler alert, that Diana has an out-of-body experience. She does like Doctor Strange. She basically has an astral self or her spirit self comes out of her body. And the book literally says that Diana's lasso is a conduit for her spirit because Diana at her core is truth. And that's why the lasso works for her because it's channeling what she believes. And it's such a wonderful book. I love those oversized one shots. I love all four of them. And so it just speaks. Hold on, let me finish. It just yep. speaks to Steve's point and Nemesis's point too about who Diana is. She'd never be a part of anything like this, and 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 everything about her core concept as a character would be against this. But that part about her living in denial—it's not possible for Wonder Woman to continue to function in denial. If you know anything about her from the comics, she gets angry with her male colleagues when they do stuff like that. She gets angry with Clark when he won't face the truth of a situation, when he won't get down to the bottom line. She gets angry with Bruce if he's trying to uh, avoid anything. She's always the one that calls them out when they're not being honest about what they're doing. So once again, when you don't understand who it is that you're writing, you don't understand that it's not possible given her origin or her power set, or her personality, her very essence, for her to live in this kind of denial and be okay with it. And that's what I'm saying. It pushed me all the way out of the movie. It didn't matter to me what happened after that because I was done. Go ahead, Nemesis. Yeah, I, I think not only that, if I remember correctly, just to hit on on what you are saying real quick before I go to my other point, I think she's called Bruce and Oliver Queen out at times 
for their womanizing. And mm-hmm. Bruce in particular for using women as part of his mask is Bruce Wayne. I, I seem to remember reading comic books where she's been disgusted by him with stuff that he's done like that. So, you know, it's just like you said, I just don't think it's part of her character. But going back to what you were saying about the man, there have actually been uh, production images and images from the script for Wonder Woman 84. And and the man in question is simply called Handsome Man or something like that. They didn't, mm-hmm. you know, they they it's quite clear how they thought of this person. And and so the the lack of self-awareness is just absolutely disturbing. They see him only as a body, not as a person. And that's usually what women usually complain to men about doing to them. Absolutely. And and you know what? They were right to be upset about that type of thing. And But here we are where, you know, and, and let's be honest in this movie and in Wonder Woman in general, one of the, the central themes is female empowerment, but also feminism. And yet a central tenet is broken as a central part of the film. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's just really, really not a lot uh, or anything good to say about the way they handled this relationship. And on top of all that, as we alluded to before, plot-wise, is nonsensical. Nonsensical to bring him back in somebody else's body. Why? 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 That wasn't her wish. I want Steve back in this other dude's body. That's not what happened. That's not what she said. Uh, let's go to some other points, a few more points, and then uh, I want to hear what other stuff you guys have. Just a few more points I want to throw out that I noticed. First thing that I noticed is I did not understand why this was set in 1984. Mm, oh, yeah. Thank you. We did talk about this beforehand, but I think it's good, worthwhile to, to revisit it now. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, so it just doesn't make uh, any sense. It doesn't add to the plot. As someone that was alive in 1984, everything was not made of neon and bright primary colors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's another trope of the American mall. All the malls don't look like that and blah, blah, blah. And then uh, it, it didn't add anything to the story. And then it contradicts what Wonder Woman said about herself that we, we saw in Batman vs. Superman that she said for 100 years she withdrew from the world a world of horrors and you know batman was drawing her back out so then that just you know did we just forget that everybody saw her in 1984 and so i you know i i just didn't understand that i'm like well what is the point of this uh and then the other thing uh once again the opening sequence on paradise island was the best visual sequence and i love the am the depiction of the amazons in these films, that's probably my favorite element, actually. But <clears throat> once again, they're they're doing it backwards. Uh, they're trying to give Diana character flaws because first she was presented as perfect. So now they're trying to say she, when she was a little kid, she was a cheater. And so she had to have a big lecture by her auntie, you don't win when you cheat, just to set up later on. I'm like, no, that was lame. The Amazon Olympics was kind of fun to, to look at visually. It was really kind of interesting, but you can't retroactively now say, you know, trying to give her a character arc, because, character arc, because you realize you cannot write a perfect character. And then thirdly, the Linda Carter cameo at the end, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. It's not that I didn't like it. It's just that once again, 
she broke the fourth wall and she it takes you out of the movie. The reason it takes you out of the movie is because she is clearly saying, hey, look at me. I'm Linda Carter cameoing in a Wonder Woman movie. You know, wink, wink. You know, rejoice all ye nerds. <laughs> but also, the Astria armor was overblown. It was oversold because she did tore through it like it didn't mean anything. Mm-hmm. So why was it there if it doesn't, if it wasn't a power upgrade for Diana? Why bring in the legend of Astria if the armor doesn't really help her against Sheeta? Because it didn't. But also, if Astria is like wandering around in the world, does Diana know that? Does Hippolyta know that? Or Hippolyta, however you say her name? Uh, what was the point of that? Where was she during Steppenwolf? Okay, if Astria's out there. And Steppenwolf goes back to Themyscira to get the mother box. If Astra's alive, wouldn't she know that when they call her? I mean, I, you know, so these are just things. So if you want to comment on that, the 1984 setting, the Paradise Island Olympics and the Linda Carter cameo, uh, start with Steve. Yeah, um, the 1984 stuff, you can tell that the screenwriter had never been around in 1984 and that this is was written by a millennial who is trying to write 1984 as if it was the present day. And, it, and it's just ridiculous. The, the entire fight uh, scene in the mall with the, those gunmen in there would, would never have happened in 1984. I mean, it, there, there was never this kind of, of crazy uh, fear about guns in 1984 uh, the way there is today. And, and, and in fact, uh, you know, it wasn't, while I wouldn't say it was that common, I would say like it would have raised eyebrows, certainly if somebody had had a gun. I mean, for all anybody knew, the guy had had a license there and, 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 it, and all the, it would have been to call the cop to bring him in there. Um, so yeah, stuff like that. I just kind of like, wait, what? Um, and, you know, and uh, yeah, all of it is just neon and all things like that, you know, because it, the, hey, it's the 1980s. Yeah, I, I didn't buy any of that. Um, Diana going around saving people. Okay, it would have been fine as long as it was clear she was using her super speed uh, to hide her presence. Uh, the whole business of destroying cameras. Uh, it, news alert, there were no cameras in 1984. <laughs> uh, so that was just completely contrived and, and, and nonsensical. Clearly more millennial, uh, you know, writing things as though it's today. Um, so, yeah, that whole thing didn't work. Although I did like the fight scene in general. At least we see that Diane is trying to save people, uh, which is at least something like you get a sense that at least Diane is trying to be a hero and all of these things. And this is before she completely throws that out the window with the Steve Trevor stuff. Um, but, you know, that's about the only real saving grace to that. Uh With respect to the Amazon uh, scene early on, it looked good. It was exciting. It was fun. Um, I don't know why it's in the movie. <laughs> um, I don't think it really adds anything. I mean, other than, okay, we're establishing that he, she has issues with cheating and, and all of this. Well, if the problem with that is that they showed in the first movie, um, you know, that she was treated harder than anybody else on Paradise Island and uh, from the start of her training. So she would have she would have accepted that, you know, she would have had a harder road to hoe because uh, her mother didn't want her to be a warrior. Uh, and that's conveniently forgotten. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just I wasn't really like a fan of that, um, you know, beyond it not really adding a whole lot. And, yeah, it's all of this is contrived just to create a character arc and it doesn't really work. Um, 
And then, yeah, so so pretty much like the early scenes were kind of like the best part of the movie. And yet I couldn't help finding things wrong with it uh, the entire way through. So, yeah, it it could have been better, could have been worse. But uh, and this is like the bright spot of the movie. What did you think about the Linda Carter cameo? Oh, yeah, the Linda Carter cameo. Um, I I had liked it the first time that I saw it. I mean, the, the only thing is, is that. Um, I, I think I'm probably less hung up on the continuity stuff just because I really don't like any of the Snyder films and I'm happy to ignore them. <laughs> um, so it's like if they contradict Justice League or if it contradicts Batman versus Superman, I honestly don't care because <laughs> I don't want to acknowledge them anyway. <laughs> so, so, yeah, yeah I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of those movies. So, yeah. But as far as Asteria herself, I thought that the idea was good. Um, and it may be that uh, we see what happens to her later and she doesn't survive. Um, that's certainly possible. I get the feeling that Wonder Woman doesn't know that she exists. I don't think that um, Hippolyta probably doesn't know that she exists because you have to kind of get to the question. If she's been around for thousands of years, why didn't she find a way home? Um, so that means that she's choosing to be in man's world by her choice. So uh, why did she do that? What is she trying to accomplish? I'm hoping the third movie uh, which has already been uh, announced that they're going to do, will address that. Um, I would like to see uh, Diana and uh, Asteria like fight together as sisters against you know some kind of big threat. As long as it's better written than this movie. Um, but I, I'm yeah, I, I can see what you're trying to say uh, as far as the wink, wink, nudge, nudge uh, of it. But you know, it's a it's an end credit scene. It's not that big of a deal. Um, I will say that the armor I agree with you on. Uh, I don't know why they introduced that other than it looked cool um, because it, it accomplishes absolutely nothing and it doesn't uh, uh, really serve any purpose other than be in a dramatic moment where, hey, look at me. I'm wearing the armor from Kingdom Come. Uh, have fun, fanboys. And, and then uh, but it comes to nothing because it's shredded within minutes. So, yeah, the armor was wasted. But I think that there's promise in the Asteria character. Uh, and in bringing Linda Carter back. But uh, I don't think we're going to see it. We didn't see it in this movie. Hopefully the next movie will bring us that. Red Nemesis comments on 1984, Paradise Island Olympics, and Linda Carter. Well, first off, I'll say, as someone who also was alive in 84 and who actually visited D.C. in the 80s, I have to quote Dave Chappelle here, which was the general state of D.C. at that time was a lot of white people over in Virginia looking at D.C. through binoculars going, "Mm, not yet. So uh, (laughs) that is exactly what was going on at that time. D.C. was not a bright city. It was not particularly safe. Uh, It was just not a good place. And listen to Dave Chappelle's comedy sometime, talk about D.C. in the 80s, and you'll understand what D.C. was like back then. It was not a good place to live. It's gotten a lot better since then. Um, so right off the bat, um, you know, DC at that time, you went to the monuments and things, and it was like uh, a Band-Aid on urban blight. You know, DC was not a great place to live, and there were a lot of problems there. And if you got out of the 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 touristy areas of DC, it was, it was not good. You know, you had enclaves of wealth and power, you know, Georgetown and stuff like that. And the rest of the DC was really not 
a safe place to live. And so, you know, just as someone who had been there and know what D, knew what D.C. is like, knew people that grew up in rough D.C., I had a problem with that just from a personal level. And then from a writer level, it's just it's just not accurate, you know, and. And then, you know, the same things you were you guys were complaining about with the 80s in general are absolutely true as well. That was not all of the 80s. And to me, everything we're talking about here pretty much sums up my general feeling about how they wrote this film, which is this whole film was a stew, a hodgepodge of, oh, that's cool. Let's throw it in there. Ideas. So, hey, people like 80s music and neon stuff now. So that's cool. So let's set it there. And people like a period piece from World War One for the first Wonder Woman movie. So let's make this a period piece. And ooh, people like Steve Trevor. So let's find a way to bring him in and throw him in there. And ooh, I heard that fanboys like the golden armor from Kingdom Come. So let's throw that in there. And ooh, I heard that Cheetah was one of the most popular villains for Wonder Woman. So let's throw her in there. We'll do what we want, but let's throw her in there. And same with Maxwell Lord. Let's throw it in there. And we heard about a wishing stone. Let's throw that in there. And all this crap just kept getting thrown in there. And they thought that it would somehow make a coherent and well-written movie that would go together and the fanboys would enjoy and everybody would love. And instead, it's just a convoluted mess. And that is really, you know, my general one over the world feeling about the film, you know, so I hit on 1984, uh, the Paradise Island Olympics. I thought it was a cool concept, just like DT said. I thought it was cool seeing little Diana doing all that. And like you said, then they ruined it. Then she cheated. That shouldn't have been what had happened. A true Diana, who is being raised by her mother, Hippolyta, and mentored by Artemis, would have realized that she had not done the correct thing and had missed one of the markers and would have gone back and then killed herself trying to win anyway and then you have her fall short and be disgusted at herself and everything else and then she would have been picked up by her mother and her mentor and taught a lesson that way that would have been much more true to diana and taught her a lesson and taught her about fair play and everything and that even though she lost today through fair play in doing the right thing she won anyway and suddenly you've set up an arc that is good and heroic for the rest of the film and then you know i already hit on the armor the armor was it was exactly what steve said oh look fanboys love this golden armor for kingdom come how do we throw that in there it was never meant to be a plot point they wrote something in there to try and explain it so they could get this cool armor in there and then in the end the armor did nothing for her i figured she was had the armor because she had lost power or something but that's not even true because she sent Steve Trevor away and gotten her power back. So her need for the armor was almost non-existent. And like you said, she just shredded it anyway. So really, what was it? It was uh, click, you know, it was visual clickbait. It was something to show in the trailer to get people hooked and a way to say, oh, look, we're being true to the comics. And it, it, it was pandering. I mean, let's call it what it was. Absolutely. Okay, so we're going to wrap up, but I want to hear some final thoughts as both Steve and Nemesis, I think, had some other points they wanted to make. So we're going to go ahead and listen to those. Go ahead, Nemesis. Uh, what else did you want to bring out? Um, my final thought is I really want to talk about the production value, specifically 
Um, I want to talk about the visual effects. To me, whoever did this film wanted to be do an homage to the Donner films, uh, Superman films, specifically yeah. Superman 1 and Superman 2. Uh-huh. And I respect that. However, doing an homage and trying to copy the technology and the visual effects from the 70s and bring them forward almost, you know, 50, almost 50 years and use the same type of effects are two different things. You could have paid homage to those movies and still done modern visual effects. Instead, what we got looked dated. It looked cheap. It looked out of place because you had some things that were very modern and other things that were very old. And so the film had a very uneven and uh, awkward and almost, I'm going to say, off-putting look to it. Um, They stole all sorts of images directly out of Superman and Superman 2 when she was flying as far as her, uh, the way she was turning and everything. I mean, it was if you had superimposed Christopher Reeve on top of her, it would have been exactly the same. And so looking at all that, I kept looking at the effects and I just thought they're absolutely hokey and I don't know where they spent their money. And if I was Warner Brothers, this is actually, I wrote this down in anticipation of doing this while I was watching the film. If I was Warner Brothers, I would go to Patty Jenkins and I'd want to know where the hell you spent my money on visual effects. <laughs> Nemesis is dropping the bomb. <laughs> dropping the bomb. Where'd you spend the money? Uh, go ahead, Steve. Have you got any final thoughts? Yeah, I have quite a few. Um, I, I, one of the things I really want to focus on is Maxwell Lord because I don't feel like we've talked him about him enough. Um, it seems like they, in a way... Um, it, the the thing with Maxwell Lord is he's kind of a confused character anyway. Um, the character that he was written uh, when he was in the Justice League is not the character that he was written in as in Infinite Crisis. And I think a lot of people kind of expected um, the one from Infinite Crisis. And instead, we kind of got like a little hint of the Maxwell Lord from Demetrius and Giffen, except written completely terribly and over the top. Um, I don't, I feel like his motivations make any sense because, uh, first of all, um, if he had just wanted uh, to make his son proud of him, you know, he could have wished uh, for just about anything other than what he did. And then his conversion, which, okay, yeah, he redeemed himself in the comics, but that was like after years of character development um, in Justice League from Giffen and Demetrius. So um, all, all of that was just completely lost. And then it just feels like it was a sudden shift. He's a villain when he needs to be a villain. And then he's a hero, uh, like at the last minute, you know, because his morality pet, his son, you know, comes and saves him. You know, the son that doesn't exist in the comics and he's never had one, um, you know, that that son. And so, you know, the whole the whole arc is just completely ridiculous. And then on top of that, you have the usual early on. It, it, it seems to me like they want to make a comment on uh, the orange man. Uh, you know which orange man we're talking about. And 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 there's the usual bout of that. But it's like it's an inconsistent garbled mess um, in, in the end. It, and it seems like they wanted to say, OK, this is about greed being good. And OK, you can't have it all. And, you know, there's always a price to everything. And and, and but it just feels like with his character, it never feels consistent. Nothing feels earned. And it's just a mess. And in addition, uh, Pedro Pascal, who is an actor I love. Um, I mean, I loved his two seasons in The Mandalorian. I liked him in Game of Thrones. Um, this He's a very good actor. 
And but the problem is, is that I got the feeling watching this movie that he knew he was in a bad movie. And so he did what certain actors do when they know in that bad movie. And that is they ham it up to uh, 10 or to, up to 11 even and uh, just completely overacts this whole thing. You know, life is good, but it can be better. <laughs> and, it, and, 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 you know, and this the whole thing became a meme because he overacts it so heavily. And it's like if you get into your entertainment from this movie, it's watching Pedro Pascal completely overact in every uh, in every scene of this movie. And, and it's like, yeah. So how can you take Lord seriously at all as a villain when he's not even remotely uh, in line with any of the characterizations we've seen? Uh, his He has an inconsistent character arc that goes um all over the place and makes no sense. And then on top of that, you have an actor who doesn't even take his own uh, his own role seriously, and he's uh, overacting. Uh, you know, uh, going to going to Hammy Town. Uh, so the whole the whole thing involving Maxwell Lord completely fails for, for all those reasons. I, I'm curious too. I would the the one other thing I wanted to add, but I wanted to ask this more as a question: is what did you guys think of the third act resolution, specifically Diana solving the problem, not through any super superhero action or, or fighting. It doesn't necessarily have to be fighting, but some sort of superhero ability to talk your way through it, especially in light of Patty Jenkins' revelation in her various interviews where she said she didn't want Diana to have any action and she was upset that she had to have Diana fight in the first movie. Um, I think it was well-intentioned. Um, I, I heard solving problems without violence is true to her character. I mean, okay. she should be, she should be trying to uh, resolve it peacefully. The problem is it makes no sense. As a last resort, as a last resort is right. more accurate. She will, she killed Maxwell Lord in the comics, remember? Yeah. So she well, will. She was down forced to it. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. Last resort. Buenas noches, everyone. Hey, Jeff. Yeah. And so also, uh, I'm sorry, Steve, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 it's fine. Yeah. No, I I was, yeah, so I think you kind of covered the point. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, her first action should be to try to resolve it peacefully. You know, she's only going to resort to violence when she has to to solve, uh, to to resolve uh, a conflict, uh, to prevent more violence from happening to other people. Uh, that's her character. And I think that the good, the intentions were good. The problem is, is that it doesn't make sense for Maxwell Lord to suddenly see Jesus at that particular moment, the way that it was done. Um, and again, I have to put that on the script. And this seems to be the uh, the overarching theme of this entire movie is that the script completely failed the character and completely uh, failed uh, the, the whole movie. Yeah. You guys well, mind if I uh, jump in on that? Well, hold on. Let me let me finish this point. The only sure. other problem with that nemesis is that what I talked about before, because they don't define either her lasso or the magic rock, because they don't make it clear how any of that works. They're just coming up with some type of last minute, I'm gonna magic lasso truth the world to giving up their wishes. Makes no sense from any angle in the plot. And also such a thing would be catastrophic it could not be undone that easily. When you literally have people all over the globe popping things into reality, then Wonder Woman tries to convince them to let all that go. Even if such a thing happened, it would take a week. It wouldn't be instant. 
and the damage done, just the collateral damage, just the building, just the people that would come back from the dead, just the money that would be shifted around, just the uh, way people would look if they thought they needed to be more attractive, just the you name anything, what people would actually do if they had unlimited wishing power. And it's just so, so once you, because what happens is your brain registers things on a subconscious level. And if your mind knows this is a bunch of crap, you subconsciously can't take it seriously because no, no planet full of humans that was granted magic wishing power wouldn't have anything to do with power and relationships and money and fame because that's what people want. Uh, before we go to Jeff real quick, my response to you also was when I was watching this, Pedro Pascal's specific wish was to become the the, the rock itself. So a rock whose whole sole purpose is to grant wishes and corrupt them. Is he really Pedro Pascal, you know, Maxwell Lord anymore? And why mm-hmm. would the rock want to give back what it has accomplished ever? Right. So, so that's what I'm saying. Just logic wise, it makes no sense. And it goes back to my original point about how this is what happens when you don't define the parameters. Uh, I'll give an example. In my sequels that I'm writing right now, the main archangel, Gabriel, has what we call hyperspeed. He's the fastest angel in heaven. So some of the enemies get a speed boost, but they don't get a hyperspeed boost. So they're faster, but they're not as fast as him. So I make that a point to to make sure that they're not overpowered so that when they go up against each other, you know who can do what. Okay, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, just uh, grabbing on to what you guys have said here. um, Some of this, uh, I learned something uh, a couple weeks ago about the film. Now, if you look at the first film, uh, the look and the style of the camera work, the cinematography, and the way the action was presented and photographed. Uh, Zack Snyder was overseeing a lot of this production. And uh, I have a suspicion that, uh, you know, sometimes when you see uh, a film produced by somebody else, like uh, I remember watching Devil produced by M. Night Shyamalan, but the guys, you know, there's a couple of different guys directing it, but it looked like a Shyamalan film. It had all of his earmarks. It had all of his style, just like, you know, some early J.J. Abrams stuff that Steven Spielberg produced had the Steven Spielberg look and feel to it. It wasn't it didn't feel like just an aping of it. It felt like, you know, he was really hands on. And I get the feeling that the first Wonder Woman owes a great deal to Zack Schneider. And now with this movie, we're actually seeing Patty Jenkins as a sole director and writer because she didn't write. Uh, the first Wonder Woman movie either. So uh, everything I used to think about her as a director got completely called into question watching this movie and especially hearing what you just said about this interview as she never wanted Wonder Woman to fight. It was like, I don't think you understand uh, the character. Yeah. I mean, like uh, Wonder Woman fights reluctantly. Well, most heroes fight reluctantly. Captain America would prefer not to fight, but he fights because he has to. Wonder Woman fights because he has to. So many superheroes fight because they have to. They have no other recourse. I like the idea of it, but also for something that's supposed to be a superhero action fantasy, that's a very unrealistic expectation to put on the character. And, uh, you know, just looking, uh, everything is so uh, so vividly different because of that. I kept wondering why the 
the action sequences look so so tame and so boring compared to the previous film if it had the same director. And that really puts that in a whole new life for me. It's like, oh, okay, that's Zack Snyder style action. Now it makes a lot more sense. The man knows how to shoot action. Patty Jenkins stuff, uh, you know, the one thing that really stands out about it setting in uh, 1984, because now it looks like a 1980s cartoon. It's way too vivid, way too oversaturated color, and the action is way too tame. And just to jump in on the last point you made, yeah, you can't just put the genie back in the bottle uh, because, like, she's doing this super idealistic movie. If I'm not mistaken, nobody died in that film either. I understand this film isn't set in a war like the previous one, but you just can't have people throwing around wishes without untold amounts of death and destruction. It's just That's not going right. to happen. Yeah. That's right. That's mm-hmm. what's going to happen if you take the lid off people's ability to wish they could have whatever they want. Look at the things we're dealing with now with the transition of power in Washington and with the mm-hmm. changing of presidents. And look at how the country's reacting to that. Mm-hmm. And you gave people the power to wish up anything they wanted? No, 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 no. You can't. No, no. It's just, it's just too much. It's too much to suspend your disbelief. Okay, so I'm going to end with this. This is my last statement. Nobody calls her Wonder Woman in the movie. Mm-hmm. In the comics, Hippolyta named her. It's a mantle. It's an actual mantle. People keep arguing about Batman being a mantle and Spider-Man being a mantle and Superman being a mantle and Thor being a mantle, none of which I agree with. Wonder Woman is actually a mantle. It was a created position uh, as an ambassador from Themyscira, and other women have been the Wonder Woman, including Hippolyta. Nobody calls her Wonder Woman. We call her Wonder Woman as the audience, but in the film, it doesn't happen. I'm like, wait, wait, ain't nobody gonna call her Wonder. Woman? <laughs> I mean, yeah, but she's she's quote unquote to... still in hiding at this point, which is laughable all by itself. Yes, it's so it's laughable. so laughable. <laughs> you can't have a costume based on the flag again, bright primary colors, but nobody <laughs> saw me, so I don't exist. So Watch. yeah. Yeah, but anyway, we're gonna have to wrap up because my computer's actually about to lose power, so I don't want to oh, cut off in the right. middle. So, <laughs> uh, good discussion, though. Uh, thank you to everybody that uh, was listening. Uh, obviously, there's a lot more that could be said, but I want to throw out to the writers right there. This is why it's worth it to do your homework and develop your craft. This is why it's worth it to learn about plot points, and you're not gonna get everything right every time, or you want to put forth your best effort, but this is the reason why, why you want to learn how to do what you're trying to do. You want to try to study the character and the story worlds you're writing for. You want to learn some of the basic tenements of writing. You want to understand about arc, so many different kinds of things. But when you just come together with scenes, I want to see this or I want to see that, or I want to feel this or I want to feel that, that's not a story. That's a wish which is ironic, uh-huh. given the nature of this movie. Yeah. And on that note, I want to thank my co-host. Thank you so much, Dave Nemesis Howard. Uh, no worries. Uh, great. I'm sure we could have gone for several more hours on this film, but good discussion. Thank you. Thank you so much, Steve Shadewing Sellers. Uh, thanks for being here. I'm glad to discuss this. Uh, this movie was definitely a monkey's paw, where we wished for a better movie and instead uh, got something <laughs> horrific in exchange. <laughs> um. And thanks for sliding in with your commentary, Jeff, Dr. Faye Bracey. 
I was never really here. <laughs> it was all a wish taken back. All a wish. All right. Well, thank you again to our listening audience, and we will see you next time on the next episode of Sloppy Spoilers. Spoilers.